Welcome to The Workplace, the program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work. Produced and presented by me, NND. Autumn Winter 2023 here the program was AI Season, where we covered an overview of the Science Gallery London exhibition, AI Who's Looking After Me, with curator Jennifer Wong. We also had a two-part discussion with artist Wesley Goatley on AI, work, and the environment, in which we discussed his installation, Newly Forgotten Technologies. And Irini Papadimitriou, creative director at arts organization Future Everything, who collaborated with the Science Gallery on the exhibition, talked about AI in the arts. Triple Dot Makers and Echo Charity, along with King's College PhD researcher Tarinda Wood, joined me to discuss AI in the medical field. We then looked at safe and trusted AI with PhD researcher Mok Tolga Batuktuk, who spoke about his installation, What is Essence? All of those episodes related directly to the Science Gallery London's exhibition, AI Who's Looking After Me, which is on until the 20th of January 2024. For more information, please visit london.sciencegallery.com. The penultimate episode in this series dedicated to artificial intelligence veered away from installations in the Science Gallery London exhibition as we discussed AI and the future of work with Dr. Tracy Wylan, who is a former visiting Stanford scholar, researcher and author on the impact of technology on society, work and careers. Please visit tracywylan.com. In this, the final episode in the series, which is titled AI and the Future of Law, I'm joined by Maya Markovich, who is a legal innovation consultant, startup advisor and member of the advisory panel of LawTech UK. Please visit lawtechuk.io and connect with Maya Markovich on LinkedIn. This episode, while not directly related to the Science Gallery London exhibition, will sit alongside all the interviews connected to that exhibition, as we have been dealing with the theme of AI. And to keep up with this and all the other work and workplace-related conversations that take place here on The Workplace, please connect with me using hashtag WorkplaceNND. Maya, welcome to The Workplace. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you so much. It is a real honor to be able to be here with you. My name is Maya Markovich. My career path has not really been linear, but it's been very instrumental in my role as a legal innovation consultant and startup advisor. So I started out with an academic background in behavioral science and organizational psychology, really focusing on how groups influence each other and adapt to new patterns. That initially led me to change management consulting in tech. And then I decided to go to law school to continue developing my skills in an arena where I felt I could have a broader social impact. So I practiced for several years just as technology was beginning to gain traction. And I became very intrigued by how technology could improve results for clients and let lawyers spend more time on strategic tasks. So I eventually made the leap over to the tech industry in product roles for businesses targeting various aspects of the business or practice of law. And then I uh, helped launch NextLaw Labs, which was the first tech-focused innovation catalyst in the legal industry and the first law tech-focused venture fund. Now I work with corporate legal service providers on transformation initiatives. I advise high-growth startups. And I'm also executive director at the nonprofit Justice Technology Association, which is a trade group that supports entrepreneurs that are building technology to close the access to justice gap. One of my favorite roles, of course, is as a member of the Law Tech UK panel, where I get to be part of truly groundbreaking work in the UK. 
The program was formed in 2019 as an industry-led, government-supported initiative that's backed by the Ministry of Justice to drive digital transformation in the legal sector in the UK. So it provides resources, programs, and courses to promote new ways of delivering and accessing legal services. The panel itself consists of leaders and experts from across the industry who are really very well versed in the law and tech sectors. And we act as the advisory board to the Ministry of Justice with the aim of accelerating the growth of the UK's internationally recognized law tech sector, which is the second largest in the world, employs about 300,000 people, and it's worth about 25 billion pounds to the UK economy. So tell us what you intend to share with us today. The field, especially at this time, is full of incredibly interesting areas of growth and innovation. I'm happy to share more about Law Tech UK, uh, and then we'll also cover the impact of AI on the business of law, how to leverage AI responsibly in law, and the use of AI in situations where people are not represented by a lawyer. And much of that will be drawing on my own experiences rather than any official views of LawTech UK, as it's all evolving in real time. LawTech UK styles itself as an initiative dedicated to driving digital transformation in the legal sector. Could you elaborate a bit on that for us? What I'm really trying to understand is are you just making legal services more techie or is your remit sort of broader than that? Sure, yeah. Um, so LawTech showcases the UK as a leading place for LawTech innovation, raising the quality of UK LawTech startups and generating industry-level views to shape the country's LawTech agenda. So it definitely goes well beyond simply driving innovation, technology adoption in the delivery of legal services. So broadly speaking, is to increase tech-enabled innovation in the sector. And part of that is working to promote the UK's jurisdictions to become the foundation for emerging technology through the UK Jurisdiction Task Force, which was established by the Law Tech UK panel back in 2020. And the purpose of that is to clarify key questions regarding the legal status and basic legal principles that are applicable to both to things like crypto assets, distributed ledger technology, smart contracts, and, and technologies associated like that under English law. And it's really helping to facilitate the industry conversation around AI. On an adjacent theme, I will also say the, the regulatory response unit is something that brings together UK legal services regulators and public bodies to create a unified approach to using technology in the delivery of legal services. So it's best known I think for its fast response scheme, which is regulatory pathfinding. So the regulatory response unit provides these quick and clear regulatory guidance to innovators so that they can drive confident adoption of technology in the legal sector. With this group of leaders on the panel, representing a cross-section of innovation and legal and tech industries in one room, and LawTech's inspiring and broad remit to support growth of the sector and the ability to connect with the right groups to get things done and ensure that AI is rolled out responsibly wherever the law touches people's experiences. I really believe that nothing is off the table in terms of shaping statutory and regulatory guidelines, identifying guardrails for you know, liability, accountability, eliminating bias, but I'm not familiar with any current efforts on that front. I am part of the LawTech UK panel, and it is something that is very focused on UK law and uh, the legal environment and industry in the UK. I, however, am based in the US, in California, and I believe that I was brought in for my experiences specifically with the access to justice issues that we're seeing, which are quite global. Let's explore how 
AI has affected the day-to-day -day work of lawyers. As this a familiar trope, the legal industry has been much slower to adopt and benefit from technology than many other industries. When Nextlaw Labs was founded as a tech-focused innovation catalyst back in 2015, many people didn't even know what we were doing. <laughs> uh, since then, things have progressed quickly, but the legal industry is still behind. It's uniquely challenging because in many ways it hasn't changed since the time of the Magna Carta. Changing the way things have always been done requires selling a 13th century guild on the benefits and mandates of the 21st century and future-proofing this tradition-rich industry that is designed to stand on precedence where a prevailing view is a lawyer's work is always bespoke can be challenging. However, compared to the reluctance we've seen in the legal industry to adoption of technology and new ways of working pre-ChatGPT, for example, I've been pleasantly surprised by the interest in experimenting, exploring, and adopting generative AI-enabled ways of working in a lot of different types of areas. There's so many already being built and tested. Things like automating business processes, drafting documents, ensuring compliance at a higher level, doing client onboarding, fraud detection software, contract processing. I mean, the list goes on and it's really only up to our imagination where it will go. Some people like to say that, or like to kind of worry that AI will replace lawyers in the industry. I like to say that AI will not replace lawyers, but lawyers who use AI will replace those who do not. I've seen some research that has estimated that 23% of a lawyer's job can be automated, but we still need people to make critical decisions, especially in law. So, you know, for example, contract review can be extraordinarily time consuming, but it's often written off of client bills. You know, there are multiple products out there that can quickly identify key clauses and precedents to conduct analysis, draw inferences, flag terms for additional scrutiny. With AI, they go even further to render recommendations sift through massive amounts of information, help create first drafts, and a lawyer will then interpret those findings, incorporate context and nuance, and provide informed legal service faster. So today, routine work that is not appropriate for lawyers or other service professionals at a high billable rate, busy work that doesn't significantly improve the quality of services, those can typically be relegated to technology or considered for that. These professionals can then focus on higher quality work, strategic and creative thinking, the issues that really demand insight and emotional intelligence. The great thing is that those are not only the most professionally satisfying aspects of most professions, but they also cultivate the attributes that make the best lawyers or consultants so good. So certainly the lower level task will take fewer person hours, but that time saved can in many cases be redirected to these more strategic, higher value tasks and better results for their clients. From what I'm hearing, the legal profession has been receptive. Yeah. Okay. I'd say so. Okay. It sounds good that it reduces uh, caseload and drudge work and so on. But we have heard of cases where lawyers used AI and uh, cited uh, cases that simply did not exist. So what thoughts or what's your response to situations like that? Yes. You know, it, it's difficult because in, in some ways you have to applaud the fact that they are trying to use a new tool and actually incorporate ways of better representing their clients uh, for, 
hopefully better results. That being said, I think that these types of things are nearly inevitable, these occurrences, because of two things. Number one, the technology is evolving in real time. And for a lawyer whose job is not to understand technology, they need to spend the time to understand what its limitations are, even though that is almost like standing on quicksand right now. But the bottom line is actually it's it's about leveraging it responsibly. The second thing it underscores is a really key and crucial need for statutory and regulatory regulations written and considered by people knowledgeable in the fields to create guardrails around these types of things. I am seeing codes of professional conduct in various states in the U.S. adopt line items specific to the use of technology, whether or not it can be, how to bill for it, how to ensure accuracy, as well as to underscore the existing responsibilities to the client to make sure that you are representing them effectively. And that, of course, will include not making up. <laughs> cases that don't exist and being able to spot it effectively you know in advance yes. before you bring it bring it to the judge yeah. but but it does yeah. underscore that point you made about lawyers will not be replaced but it's lawyers who use ai will replace lawyers who don't and i suppose it's lawyers who use ai correctly yes. and responsibly who will in fact lead the pack in the end. So let's go now to, you mentioned leveraging AI responsibly. Tell us what this looks like. Indeed. So, I mean, again, this is evolving in real time, but some key considerations are, you know, lawyers are obligated to perform their legal services to a high standard, meaning, as we just discussed, they need to be knowledgeable and skilled in using generative AI tools if they choose to do so. They also need to keep their clients' information private and secure, which means they need to be careful about what information they're providing to the generative AI tool and ensuring they have client consent. They're also responsible for their work, whether it's done by them, their staff, or their technology, and they will be held to account for that. And they also need to keep tabs on possible fraud and deep fakes and bias that might be generated through AI tools. You know, the burden is heavy, but the opportunity and the upside is vast because the responsibility is so critical as well. Because the need is, is so desperate, people are moving very quickly. And I think that, I mean, with the example of implicit bias, you know, automating a manual process that is rife with implicit bias, and which many legal and other processes, frankly, are, simply codes in the bias. So there are already countless examples of algorithmic bias causing serious issues and concern built as they are by homogenous groups of engineers, like facial recognition and predictive policing, who gets a loan, there are many examples. So like any emerging technology, if automation is done carelessly, abused, unregulated, or held in the hands of just a few, it can have strong negative repercussions. If whoever is using the output from the automated process just takes the output without questioning where it came from or how it arrived at certain conclusions. But if the tech is open, transparent as to how the automated processes are storing and using the information they're collecting and progressively democratized, it has incredible potential. So it could be used as a way to monitor and enforce fairness in lending, quickly review decisions for bias, etc. So of course, it totally depends how it's implemented, both at the tech stack and the statutory levels. So tell us about the opportunities and risks of applying AI in scenarios where people are not represented by a lawyer. 
Because the need is so desperate, uh, with the World Justice Project logging 5 billion people around the world who are not able to afford the legal services that they need, the opportunity for generative AI to help democratize justice for those who have to make their way alone through a system that is stacked against them is vast. Some places where AI could be valuable, it's, the sky is the limit, honestly, um, but include things like generating demand letters, helping complete forms, helping people understand the likelihood of a particular outcome, or how to approach a complex decision or fork in the road with a legal proceeding, helping people make sense of complex text and translating it into plain language, proposing the best strategy for a case, etc. So the risks, of course, are very real as well, and they have been occurring. These are the kinds of things we see in the news, right? There was a risk of people relying on hallucinations or people trying to game the tools with motivation for misinformation in the space. People could forfeit their right or decide to just give up. So we need to prevent these types of harms. Platform hosting, they may not have a public interest services at their core, or this may not be their priority. Who are these AI tools going to be handing people off to? Commercial services, public interest services, you know, generative AI giving very incorrect information in situations that could have significant financial repercussions and other repercussions on people's lives. So concern about the accuracy of answers and content. Also the concern about quality. We don't want second class justice. That being said, there aren't any benchmarks in place right now to measure the quality of legal services anyway. That's another issue <laughs> that, uh, that we should back up and, and work on. So the bottom line is tech amplifies the systems that we already have. Those systems are not equitable right now. We need to invest in high quality experiences for people dealing with things like access to justice. So like I said, the need is so desperate that people are using it right now themselves. What do we need? We need to ensure that there is an environment in which those get the best quality results possible and not leave them to their own devices. Not because they can't do it, because they absolutely can, but because they need to be given the same opportunities and tools and solutions to get the best result for themselves. So let's say someone used an AI lawyer. Oh my God, I'm just so freaked out by the concept. But if someone used an AI lawyer and uh, any of the pitfalls that you mentioned came up, what recourse does that person have? Does the individual have the human who has not been properly represented? Where do you go from there if you happen to be in that situation? So that is a very interesting question. And I can tell you from the U.S. perspective, what we have are, for better or for worse, I mean, there, there are definite pros and cons to these uh, regulatory restraints, but we have something called the unauthorized practice of law statutes. And that is that only lawyers can provide legal advice. And for that reason, it's actually very difficult in many circumstances for these B2C justice tech startups, which we represent a justice tech association, to really figure out where that line is because it is vaguely defined. Um, in many cases, it can stifle innovation and scaling the positive impact that they're attempting to provide to the public. Those types of laws, although this is all being worked through with courts, with lawsuits, with the bar associations, to figure out where the line is between providing information and providing legal advice. And so if it falls on the side of legal advice, 
that sort of precludes an AI, an AI lawyer existing, <laughs> or at least not having very significant scrutiny. There are tools out there that simply provide information, and that that's the line that we're attempting to to fall to figure out what falls on on which side of that line. I will also say that in the U.S. we have a very interesting um, organization called the Utah Regulatory Sandbox, where they have created an environment in which people experimenting with using technology to deliver legal services, and many of them are, of course, generative AI based right now, are able to develop their tools and services without fear of being in opposition to particular regulatory statutes in primarily, of course, unauthorized practice of law. And I will tell you that they keep very strict tabs on the impact to the public. This is a model, by the way, which I think needs to expand to as many jurisdictions as possible globally, because what they are doing is reviewing all of these potential solutions through the lens of consumer protection and mitigating consumer harm. And of the hundreds of solutions that have gone through and all of the feedback they've received, they have received you know, a de minimis amount of negative feedback as to the services that were received that were enabled by technology. So until we have a situation in which we have something to compare it against, as in what is the recourse for a regular lawyer not performing their duties and performing legal services in an adequate way, then we really don't have anything to compare it to. So I think we just need a lot more higher level thought and very thoughtful and yet flexible guardrails that will help us figure out where we go from here, because we don't even know what AI will be able to do with respect to anything with respect to the justice system, even in the next six months, let alone in the next few years. There's been some research done on how pro se litigants who are representing themselves, um, how they feel about using AI, using an AI, using a chatbot essentially, mm. and, and give them a few different kind of scenarios in the research flags, one of the dangers is not trusting it. So you don't use it. And therefore, you're, you know, it's hard for you to get get through the process. The other problem, of course, is over reliance on it. And, you know, believing that it couldn't possibly it, well, it's, it's computing it right with where we're talking with a complete about a completely different animal. It's exactly like the lawyers in, in the case who presented cases that didn't exist. Yeah. You know, you just think, oh, the computer can't make a mistake. We don't think AI could be wrong, which brings yeah. me to a point I wanted to raise about um, oh, yeah. you use the word hallucination earlier in conversation. And I just want to follow the instruction of Dr. Robert Elliott Smith, who's the director of AI and data science at Digital Catapult, mm -hmm. who says we shouldn't anthropomorphize technology. It's not a hallucination. It's an error. Okay. It's an error. So whenever I hear someone use the word hallucination, I just like to follow Dr. Smith's yeah. advice. Actually, you know, I, I completely agree with that as, a, as someone with psychology in my core, um, in my education. I mean, I, I completely agree with it. I, I think that's one of the main things that we're, I mean, and also, oh, this is another one of my issues is I wonder what this, what this scholar thinks of the fact that there's these like, quote unquote, digital assistants, and they have names, and they're really just software. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, why are you naming it a human name? 
Right. That's terrible. That's yeah. Like the, the whole anthropomorphizing of the whole thing yeah. is, yeah. Totally. We are an arts radio station. And, uh, you know, in the quote-unquote training data sets for AI models, they are basically mining artists' work for free to quote-unquote train AI. What are your thoughts on that? And what, if anything, is low-tech? Is low-tech, does low-tech have some oversight and things like that? Or can artists petition low-tech, get low-tech to represent them? Anything, anything like that? I think this is an incredibly important question. And I think it is well beyond, I mean, while it directly impacts people's livelihoods, I think we're also talking about a societal um, imperative um, to make sure that we do not stifle um, this types of innovation and art. So AI generators are using artworks and texts and all kinds of intellectual property. To, and they're generating new versions of it. They're training the models that way. And, and it's definitely changing our culture. It raises a lot of, qu of questions about creating any kind of art. I will say in the US, you know, this summer they identified that uh, a court in Washington DC said that a work of art that's created by AI without any human input cannot be copyrighted. So that's the other side of the coin. I think that just underscores the fact that we need to prioritize these types of questions so that we do not have any sort of uh, chilling effect on the creation of art by the you know folks that we are trying to ensure have the right guardrails around what they're doing with the AI and what use and what benefit it has to the public and society. So what is the future of law and AI? Yes, so the legal industry itself is a pyramid in terms of the number of firms and market share, right? So if we're looking at it as an industry, law is a fragmented market. The largest firm in the world holds 1% of market share. There's many small to mid-sized firms covering distinct markets and practices. They're often protected by regulatory constraints. The largest firm in the world holds only 1% market share. But then like, if you look at accounting, the big four has 50% market share even up to 90% in certain things. So it's that's that's just an example of how law is such a fragmented market. And the net impact of all of these trends towards automation, AI, tech implementation, we think is going to be a movement towards more of a barbell structure. So there will, you know, clients will consolidate who they're working with. Law firms will get bigger to serve them globally. Law firm networks where they're connecting with each other and an ecosystem, those will probably continue to grow. Mid-range firms will probably decrease. And then I think there'll be lots of small and specialized firms and alternative service providers that are going to target specific geographies or niche areas of the law and still prosper. And I think the IP question that we talked about earlier is a great critical example of where we will need to see somebody developing a niche and serving those new needs and doing well for themselves. Tell us anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up. Uh, yes. So, I mean, going back to LawTech UK, I mean, I want to make sure that folks are aware of their events programs and their educational programs. So you can find information about them at lawtechuk.io. There's a webinar on generative AI coming up in January. There's an event in Bristol on 24th of January. And on the program side, there are programs that are suitable for folks that want to develop their businesses and understanding further, mentoring, networking programs. And there's going to be a lot of AI. All of the work is done to facilitate 
connections, increase discussion around AI, growth of law tech in the UK, providing information and how to build knowledge and awareness and highlighting opportunities for the sector. You can also find me at LinkedIn and I'm always happy to connect with folks who are listening and have interesting thoughts or would like to prove me wrong or agree, disagree, discuss further. Um, and then you can find information about the Justice Technology Association focused on access to justice related technology at justicetechassociation.org. Maya Markovich, thanks so much for being with us here on The Workplace to discuss AI and the future of law. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of The Workplace, the program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work, produced and presented by me, N.N.D. This was the final episode in the AI season here on The Workplace, and I was speaking with Maya Markovich, a legal innovation consultant, startup advisor, and member of the advisory panel of Law Tech UK. We discussed AI and the future of law. Please visit lawtechuk.io and connect with Maya Markovich on LinkedIn. This episode forms part of the series of episodes featuring interviews with contributors to the Science Gallery London exhibition, AI, Who's Looking After Me?, which is on until the 20th of January, 2024. For more information and to view archived content from the exhibition, please visit london.sciencegallery.com. And you can catch up on previous episodes in the season and keep up with all the other work and workplace-related conversations that take place here on The Workplace by connecting with me using hashtag work place nnd my thanks as always to all those who've made this program possible this program was first broadcast on community arts radio station resonance 104.4 fm which is a charity please support us at resonancefm.com forward slash donate and on patreon and special thanks to arc club for supporting ai season here on the workplace to find out more about arc club please visit arc-club.com Arc Club, the fabulous co-working space that is more than just a workspace. And thank you so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure being in your company. Till next time, keep finding new and better ways to keep working. <laughs> <laughs>